Welcome to Garbage of the Five Rings, a podcast we continue to regret making. I'm one of your hosts, Jude Vase, and today my co-host Amelia Antrim and I talk about people who are technically doing their jobs, but clearly didn't read the employee handbook first. Corrections and non-apologies. Um. Do we have anything? I don't, I don't feel like we do. I could probably check our mentions, but I don't care that much. Yeah, um, and we're not going to apologize for not caring. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's that. Yeah, chances are um, if you raised a point valid enough for us to care about, we probably made fun of you for it on Twitter already. So there's your there's your response. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> We're really good at interacting with our fans. <laughs> Look, it's their fault for listening to this show. Right. Um, they came here for this. Yeah. Our winning personalities. <laughs> that's what we're known for. I'm, I'm fairly certain that most of our one-star reviews call that out specifically. For being too mean? Uh, I think, but no, our it's winning for, like, personalities. Being, yeah, but it's for, like, being too mean to this game, not for, like, being horrible people, which uh, is the part that bothers me because, like, this game deserves it. Yeah. We are horrible people. I totally fully own that. That's fine. Yeah. This game? Also horrible. Yeah. If they were if they were reviewing us, it would be an accurate review. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving all of this in. <laughs> uh, all right. How do you want to introduce this, like, thing? Should we just, like... Yeah. So, the Hidden Emperor fictions that accompanied the Rolling Thunder uh, pack releases contain these very helpful framing devices of... Um, setting the stage for where the empire is as time goes by. Uh, they, there's one that's like 13 days and then another that's six months and then a year and so on and so forth. I don't remember the exact times. But uh, this episode, we have the one that is 13 days. And uh, we're going to read that one. It's not too long. And it sets up all kinds of good dunking on Tutori. So we're just going to start there. We're here for that. Yeah. Thirteen days have passed since the Emperor vanished. Thirteen days of horror and turmoil. As the Imperial Court struggles to keep the peace between the clans, the rising tides of ambition and loyalty threaten to crush the Empire in an iron grasp. The Empire that Tuturi struggled to reforge is on the edge of open warfare. The great clans of Rokugan watch the empty throne with covetous eyes, and even now, armies mass on the borders. While the Naga war in the Dragonlands... The struggle for the Jade Throne begins, not with the rumbling thunder of war, but with the subtle movements of shadows once thought destroyed. Now all that remains is the illusion of peace. Great armies rise in the east, preparing to make their mark on a weakened empire, and old feuds begin to surface. Even the efforts of the unicorn magistrates, the last bastion of the law outside Odesonuchi, may not be enough to quell the rising tide of revolution. In the dawn of a new age, there are still lingering shadows of the past. Thirteen days it took. Thirteen days for things to go to shit. <laughs> Satori's grand new empire went to shit in thirteen days. And I am of two minds on this. Uh, I, I absolutely love that his empire is apparently built of tinfoil and, and fucking like paper straws. And it takes a stiff breeze to knock it over into civil war again. Um, but I also hate that it means that he is still such a like white savior figure 
that he alone can hold it together with charisma because clearly he's not an effective like leader or administrator because otherwise that would this would not be happening but they're still setting him up as being so fucking charismatic that his mere presence is enough to hold all this shit together uh for two years i mean it's just insane to me that an entire empire can fall apart in 13 days like earlier this year i took 20 days of medical leave off of work and things were pretty okay yeah i'm and i'm the also the only one that does my job so right get it together like how does an entire country fall apart in 13 days we've we've previous, previously it takes like how long okay so here's map time yeah, i was i was just how gonna go there how long does it take how for long? people to even figure out that he's missing <laughs> right how long does it take for the like, message like to get week. across the, the all of rokugan that he's not there there's people in phoenix lands that probably don't even know he's not around anymore right so like stuff is falling apart before we even know he's gone i hate this game <laughs> i'm glad we managed to fit in a map rant i've missed those <laughs> oh, this, this episode's off to a real good start <laughs> yeah i think we're doing great um all right so our topics today matsu Hiroro. Hiroro. <laughs> oh my god oh i'm so sorry future amelia um matsu Hiroro. And Ganawa, who we have not heard of yet, um, but our favorite pajamas and pissed off, as I will herefore be referring to them. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, it's our favorite ninja in dress uniform, Matsuhororu. Yep. Uh, the unicorn—they're here and they're doing stuff. They're suddenly plot relevant. Woo! I don't believe it. Huh. Uh, I mean, not not like hugely, but I mean, they're there. They have their own subplot thing going on. Uh, Kitsuokura. Who boy. <laughs> Who boy. This is actually a really good section. I'm really excited to cover this one because there's some, there is some like garbage stuff about this and there's some actually really interesting stuff about this. So this will be great. A bullshit and I'm here for it. Yeah, for sure. All right. So let's start with probably the stupidest part of this. Like, let's just get the trash out of the way. Hiroru and Ganawa. We're never going to say Hiroru right every time. Hiroru. 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 Um, yeah. I want to say, so my first t- take on this story, this is one of the very first stories of Hidden Emperor, and I hated it the first time. The fir- from like the first four sentences, I hated it. And that really colored my opinion of the- these two dudes. And... um I've read like four more fictions with these two guys, and nothing has changed my opinion of them since. Interesting. What what part of the fiction did you? Um, I I really don't like Hiroru, and Ganawa seems super dumb and extra. <laughs> like, hmm. uh, I just got like a really bad. They just seem well. So I think I don't know what it was about, but the the whole fiction rubbed me the wrong way. I mean, it's not a good fiction. Yeah. It's not a good fiction. It's not great. Um, Which one is this? Is this, it's Hidden Emperor, right? It's just like called Hidden Emperor. Yeah. Um, I think. Yeah. And the whole thing was just like, well, I mean, so first of all, there's, it it opens with Kachiko, which is not great. Um, And Aramoro being his his usual dumb self. Um, But yeah, I just got a real bad read off it. And I don't, I don't love this, this 
storyline with these two dudes as a consequence. I mean, right. and it's kind of blood sword. This is this is a thing I should be into. Um, but okay, so like, let's maybe actually like let's yeah. let's get into it before we before I hate it. Yeah, before you just like hint at all of the things yeah. that happen. Let's do that. So, uh, Kachiko is here. Yeah, because why the fuck not? Right. Yeah, and I'm sure. I'm. Let me guess. You really like her. Her depiction has improved drastically, and uh, you think it really yeah. works. Yeah, I mean, I really do. Uh, no, dear listeners, when we said that there were things in Hidden Emperor that we thought were better, this was not one of them. Yeah. Uh, it opens on her. Her hair is flowing down and clinging to quote the soft curve of her hips. In case you were wondering, she's um now not. Uh, like a young, shapely as a young willow, apparently. She's she's filled out a little bit now. She's got some curves. <laughs> so, <laughs> exciting news. Um, but she is meeting up with our favorite weird ninja, Matsuhiraru. Um, Bayushi Aramaro, who is her brother-in-law or something, right? Like, is he Choji's brother? Is that? Yeah. Okay. Um, who, who, anyway, wants, he, who wants her real bad. Yeah, well, who doesn't? Yeah, but that's like his subplot, like that. Right, that's his subplot. Is like he's super loyal to her because he's like real into her. Yeah, um, that's fine. Whatever. Uh, he decides that Hiroru is the one to help with this thing that Kachiko needs, um, which it turns out is to find a blood sword. She's like, "Hey, we had one. We broke it." Maybe we need a new one. Cause You're like, let's go to like the Pier 1 imports of <laughs> Blood Swords. Because that one's so Just well get for the a last new one. time. Like, Blood right. Swords really worked out super aces for the Scorpion Clan the last time they fucked around with that. Why not get another one? Well, I mean, it's the Scorpion Clan. So, I mean, far be why it. Why try something new? Far be it for me to keep anyone from using tainted swords. I'm just saying, f- from a purely logical standpoint the the evidence would suggest that that was a faulty uh faulty course of action but sure so yeah aramaro brings in hiroru and is like he's the one that can find it and then like two paragraphs later is suddenly like i don't trust him and it's like you brought him here like what is your deal yeah it's it's not at all clear what his the time the time passage in this story is super wonky like I have no idea how much time is passing in these various sections. Like, Amoro is going to get Hororu, and then Hororu gets Ganawa. And it's like, how, what, what time is passing? Where is time passing here? It's like fucking uh, Empire Strikes Back. Nobody knows how much time is passing in these various sections. Well, it's because we don't know how long it takes to get to and from places. So we can't really, yeah, can't really explain. I do want to point out that when she tasks Hororu to find, to get these blood swords or blood sword. I don't know. Unclear how many she wants. Um, she does refer to them as the Yuchiban blade. Mm-hmm. So um, just to circle that around again for you. Yep. Uh, it's also worth noting that they refer to it as the Yuchiban blade. And there is a card called blood sword in the game, which lists out the d- different blood swords. Um, ambition, passion, judgment, revenge, Right? Ambition, passion, judgment, revenge. What's the fifth one? Passion, ambition, judgment, revenge. There's only four. Are there only four blood swords? Yeah. I thought there were five. The, the quote from the card is literally like if you scroll up a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm an do, idiot. Do, do. Yeah. Okay. I thought there were five. 
Uh, nope. Yeah, so there's four. You wish there were five. There should always be more tainted blood swords. Um, so there's four, and we've already broken ambition. Um, so that leaves passion, judgment, and revenge. We don't know which one of these blood swords is in play here until like a year after, um, what's it called? Until much, much later in the game here. We will eventually find out that it's revenge that is it, that Ganawa is towing. But it is not until much, much, uh, like a year after all of this is said and done that we find out which one it is in the... Yeah, it's never named anywhere in these fictions or in the cards at all. It comes in an RPG supplement um, in Unexpected Allies, yeah. I think, um, that says that revenge is the one that Ganawa yeah. has. So... Yeah, it's and it's unclear at all in this story why Kachiko thinks this blood sword is the thing that she like she never says why. Mm-hmm. It's um it's kind of implied that like hey, we got to get the Scorpion clan back. Um but that's not really The whole thing is unclear. It's not clear why what her goal is. It's not clear why they think a blood sword is necessary. It, the whole thing is like Scorpion plots. Right, and it's not like it's like why why is Hiroru the one to do it? Like why isn't Aramoro like the best ninja ever? Like why can't he go get this blood sword? What it, none of it makes any sense, and they don't give you any detail that would assist you in any yeah. way. It's really the story is Kachiko's in a room staring out a window. Aramoro is in the shadows. Hiroru is there. She's like, "Go find me a sword to save the day," and he's like. I can do that. And Aramoro's like, I don't trust him, even though I brought him here. That's my summary of the story, dear listeners. Um, The last thing we'll say about this is Ginawa was a member of Totori's army, formerly an Akodo. He gets a bunch of backstory in Unexpected Allies. Um, Apparently, he killed his master after being tricked by a shapeshifter, went on a revenge quest. It didn't go as well as he would have liked, I guess. Um, I suppose. It says, apparently in Unexpected Allies, it is made very clear that having the revenge bloodsword didn't help, which seems counterintuitive. If you're on a revenge quest, you would think having the revenge bloodsword would be exactly what it's there for, but apparently not. Not um, so much. After the coup, he joins Tutori after the coup and hangs out through clan wars, but apparently just kind of fucks off and becomes a drunk loser with a dangerous sword after that. Like As you do. As one does, yep. Yeah, um, he's he's having a bad time. Yeah. It's I I don't know where he came from or why he has a blood sword. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to finding out, but also yeah. we'll probably never know. Um, we mention these guys because uh, we have read far enough into Hidden Emperor to know that they get a, a whole buttload more fiction. Um, I have not read far enough to know why they get a whole buttload more fiction, but I know that they do, so... I'm praying that one or both of them become relevant in some long-term fashion, but you never know. It could be they're just wasting our time. They're they're not, but that's fine. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, really, this is a stupid section. Um, They as characters will be important later, and so really the point of this is just to say, hey, these guys are here. Also, remember Kachiko? She's up to something. Um, aside from being incredibly cruel to those orphans on that yep. one card. And they're um, about to get, and she's about to get shipped off, uh, to the burning sands. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, 
Unicorn. Hey, they're relevant. Maybe a little bit. A little bit. Um, I forgot. I just looked at our outline and I forgot there's some really dumb stuff in this section. So I'm actually now I'm looking forward to doing this. So out of nowhere, as if from the shadows, jumps Shinjo Shirasu, who is a dude that has no background and no backstory, miraculously has somehow escaped the gets a blurb in an RPG book curse that infects every L5R character of all time. This guy literally has nothing. We know nothing about this guy for all intents and purposes. He's got like four sentences on the wiki. We know that he assumes command of the Emerald Magistrates when the Emerald Champion, my my bro and yours, the Gray Crane, uh, goes missing. And that's it. That That's what we got on Shinjo Shirasu. He takes over and this is relevant because the Unicorn are going to start swinging, swinging around with the Emerald Magistrates and trying to enforce order per Tatori's last orders. Um, and they're going to get real big for their britches, as you're going to talk through here in a little bit. But yeah. Shinju, Shinjo Shirasu himself, the the man behind this big britchery, uh, we don't know anything about, which I think is kind of funny that the, they, the guy they put in charge of all this is effectively a paper cutout. I mean, that means you didn't get into any trouble. Fair enough. You know, he didn't um, summon any Oni or... Which we'll see is certainly a thing that one can do. <laughs> one can do. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, whatever people get up to in their spare time. He had regular normal hobbies. Flower arranging. Mm, Ikebana. It's very, very popular. The Unicorn Clan is... I don't want to say they're on a power trip because that that's the Mantis are over there they're doing that. compensating um, for not having done anything in the Clan Wars. Right. They're like, you know what? We're here. We're going to do it. So the first thing that they do, the first really big thing, is that they seize Ryoko Owari. Ryoko Owari is the second biggest city in Rokugan outside the Imperial Capital. It's, I would say, pretty important. Um, It's also sketchy as fuck. Um. It's called the City of Lies. So if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say Ryoko Owari, hopefully City of Lies um, means something to you. It's a huge trading hub in the Empire, but it's also like the center of the opium trade. And there's tons of gambling and um, crime syndicates. And um, I think if Rokugan had Las Vegas, this would be it. Probably, except like economically important as well. Maybe, like, if you, like, mushed Las Vegas and New York together or something. Yeah. It changes hands a bunch of times throughout the timeline. Um, it's technically a Scorpion City um, owned by the Shosuro, which is, you know, explains why it's extra sneaky. But honestly, like, at any point in the timeline, it it is held by different people. I think the crab have it at one point, the lion have it at one point. Um, it's kind of all over the place. Generally, I think it's held together by all of the criminal elements that are technically running the city. Um, but the point here is that the unicorn taking control of this is really important. It's like a big strategic move to say, we are taking over like the second largest city because you can't take over the imperial capital, obviously. I mean, you can, but that's a clan war, yeah. a coup. We already did that. So taking over Ryoko Owari is like their show of power. 
they want to be in charge. And so, like, they're going to take this big city. Um, and it, it sort of serves to cement their authority and basically say, we are running the show now. You have to listen to us. Um, which again, probably overcompensating a little bit for everything that's happened previously, but also carrying out Totori's orders saying, you know, we are, we are the law in Rokugan now. Our job is to, what is the word I'm looking for? Carry out his will and legal authority across the empire. Yeah. I mean, pretty much like their, their job is to control everything and to sort of like mitigate any nonsense that might be happening. Yeah. Um, and so they decide they're going to go big or go home yep. right off the bat. The other piece of unicorn bullshit that's going on is a really stupid one that I'm really excited to talk about because it's super stupid. Um, this section in our outline is entitled Shinjo Marido Goofs on the Unicorn, which is pretty accurate. Um, Shinjo, soon to be not Shinjo Marito, was born Otako Marito. This guy's got, like, a bunch of names. Um, he was exiled from the unicorn in his youth after he broke a horse's leg, which is a pretty big no-no uh, in the unicorn. He wanted to ride one of the otako steeds. Um, obviously, that's not a thing dudes can do because he's not a battle maiden. Um, he tried anyway, and the horse couldn't bear his weight, and the horse was injured. They saved the horse, but he was thrown out of the clan for it. Uh, he was exiled with his brother. Uh, during the clan wars, he... Wait, what did his brother do? Uh, apparently was, like, in on this scheme for some reason, like, covered oh, his ass okay. at some point. Anyway. All right. They were exiled and became ronin. During the uh, clan wars, his brother became, like, a shugenja of some kind, while he became a Kolot agent somehow. It's never really discussed how this happened. It's just... What's the Colot? We're going to find out a whole lot more with this guy. Um, <laughs> I don't like that I can't make that joke anymore. Yeah, it, it's becoming more clear. Um, we don't really know like how that happens. It's just sort of stated. But after the clan wars, he covers himself in enough glory that they allow him to rejoin the unicorn as a Shinjo with no explanation. They literally tell you nothing about why this happens or how this happens. So my theory is that somebody fucked up when they were making cards and they just reprinted this guy as a Shinjo without realizing that he was supposed to be an otaku or a ronin. And they're just like, oh, well, fuck, hmm. now we have to write a story to figure out how this this asshole ended up back in the unicorn clan. Um, because there's no explanation for how he, like, re-entered the unicorn under a different family. Um, if anybody knows the backstory on this, I'd love to hear it. But... Anyway, this is the goof part. He just gets back into the unicorn, and then he gathers up a bunch of people and says, fuck y'all, flips the double bird, quits, and founds the Ox Clan by stealing a bunch of Phoenix lands that are laying around unoccupied. Um, he builds Shiro Morito, which is, that's some ego right there, near Kirin's shrine. The Phoenix unsurprisingly raise a claim in the courts about it, but literally they can't do anything about it because they don't think they can take it. That's how whipped ass weak the Phoenix are right now that they can't dislodge a basically an upstart wannabe minor clan from their lands. Uh, Look, 
sometimes <laughs> sometimes you gotta let stuff go. Um, it turns out that all of this thi- this whole this whole thing is has been orchestrated by the Colot. And for his troubles and services, he will become a Colot master eventually. But exactly what that means and all that we'll cover later. But yeah. So I just like this whole story is fucking clown shoes. The whole thing is goofy. Uh, but I like that he gets kicked out of the unicorn, goes back into the unicorn, quits the unicorn, and founds his own clan uh, on Phoenix lands. I think that's shenanigans. Yeah, I like I like that he's otaku and then nothing and then Shinjo and then he founds his own thing and then don't worry later when the otaku becomes something yeah. else. <laughs> oh god. This game's yep. bad. Uh the last thing we'll say about the unicorn is that they're going to get up in the lions business. But we'll talk about that later. We will. Yeah, most of this is just kind of starting to lay that groundwork. Um, and sort of why they think they have any rights to be up in the lion's business, which is essentially to say, like, nope, we're in charge of legal matters and we think something's up here. Yep. Would you like to get into what is up there? Yeah. Let's let's get up there. I have titled this section, Someone Who's Supposed to Fight Maho is Actually Doing It, and It's Not a Phoenix. Yeah, for once we have someone that is not the phoenix doing Maho. Uh, it's pretty exciting, and it's extra ironic. Um, why? I would very much like to talk about what. Yes, I was just about to say, P- Amelia. Is. Please tell me about the Jade Champion, because this this is really stupid and really, really, fe- really, really nerd bird. So, yeah, um, this is grade A Phoenix bullshit. So obviously, I'm here for it. Let's talk about the Jade Champion. The Jade Champion position. Um, was founded like forever ago so was it like sixth and eighth centuries i think we wrote down um during which the emperor decided hey um yuchiban he's like getting up to some shit we should maybe stop that let's make a new post to specifically to fight maho um and kind of watch over magic let's Let's have somebody in charge of that. So you have the Emerald Champion who deals with, like, regular people crime. And then you have the Jade Champion that's, like, magical crime. It's it's law and order magic. Guess who doesn't love having somebody else in charge of magical things? Um, are, do they look like bright orange vultures? Rude. But yes, the Elemental Council of the Phoenix are having a fucking hissy fit about this because they are in charge of magic, damn it. Nobody else. Um, and they're really, basically, they're they're real threatened by this. So what do they do? Obviously, they scheme to take away all of the power of this position so that it's just kind of a, it's it's on paper, but you have no actual ability to do anything and eventually it's a laughing stock and it just gets left vacant because the position can't do anything so why even bother to appoint anybody and ta-da phoenix are back on top uh, you buried the lead there how long did they spend on this on this scheme to undermine the jade champion position five generations five generations conservatively how how, how many years do you think that took them I mean, it depends it's on like what, you, years. what you consider. If, 
A hundred years that they wasted. I mean, I think about that. Like, I think like my sister and I are a different generation. Like, no, I think that's consecutive generations. I mean, technically within one family, no, but like culturally, no. I I think I'm so lost in this in this in this usage. They're they're meaning consecutive generations. Okay, fine. About a hundred years. Look, that's nothing. That's nothing. That is a hundred year long hissy fit that your your nerd birds have thrown. That's nothing. Well, you think that like, okay, Jude, how long can you hold a grudge? That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Were I undead, it would long, be much longer than 100 years. Tell me how long you could be. Right, exactly. Well, and, exactly. And, and, and the joke's on the nerd birds anyway, because now your your elemental council is a decrepit laughing stock. So. Yeah, I mean, right. So like long, long term. Maybe not the best plan. Like, long, long term? Because, like, long term, yeah. <laughs> their plan was get rid of the Jade Champion. Long, long term, not the greatest yeah. idea. Maybe if they'd had a Jade Champion, um, their Elemental Council wouldn't have ended up blowing itself up in Maho. Mm-hmm. Um, Takuan, who we talked about previously, um, acting as Imperial Regent, decided, hey, remember that? We should, we should reestablish that also. Uh, Phoenix can't do shit about it right now. Yep. So let's go ahead and have a J champion. I like that he gets the idea from somebody digging in a library. They're like, hey, look what I found in a book. This will make me look like an effective hey, leader. We used to have this. We should do that again. Um, oh, poor, poor Takuan. Um, it's not going to go great. No. His, his first foray back into green robe magic fighting um but like maybe he didn't live to see how bad it went yeah it's not clear uh, i n- it, it all happens in the same month so maybe he died before the revelation of how badly the j champion had become corrupted came out maybe he died right after who knows i like to think he died first so do you want to explain how this oh, went please. badly. Um, so we have okay. Uh, we have a super normal coward named Kitsu Okura. Uh, I des- I describe him that way because in Otosanuchi Book One, an RPG supplement, he is described as shy and cowardly, uh, and it goes so far as to say that he gets mugged twice when he first arrives in Otosanuchi and fails to report either mugging, simply blaming his being sore from getting his ass kicked on strenuous work and yoga. Buddy. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, This was when he first joined the Order of the Blessings of the Eternal Kami, a group researching new spells in the Imperial City in 1122. So basically, you have a super, super big nerd who is a big old chicken boy that uh, is getting his ass beat up in the streets all the time by... 1131, he's toughened up a little bit by basically failing. Um, there's another quote that basically says, uh, through failure, he, he learned to grow strong. So he basically just grew a hard shell by sucking. And, uh, in 1131, he's back in iron, in lion lands and just kind of conveniently finds, uh, an oni lord named oni no akuma bound in the ruins of a lion castle as one does. Um, as for what an Oni Lord is compared to an, a regular Oni, um, 
The whole Oni Lord thing doesn't get clarified until 2001, which is like two years after Oni no Akuma originally appears. Um, so I'm not really going to even bother with getting into an explanation of what that means right now. Can Oni Lords talk? Yes. Okay. So Elemental Terror is not that not special. That special. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> the short version, though, of what an Oni Lord is, is an Oni Lord can't be killed. It can be destroyed, and then it reinstantiates back down in Jigoku. And it can also, like a Mogwai or a Gremlin, uh, spawn off new copies of itself when it wants to. Mm-hmm. Cool. There's like six of them. Just like British nobility. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So during – so he finds this Oni Lord and decides not to let it go, not to like destroy it or do anything with it. He just leaves it there uh, and just says, uh, that's cool. That's good to know. Noted. Uh, maybe it's like the mugging where he's just like, you know, I don't want to bother anybody. <laughs> this Oni's just hanging out. Like, he didn't do anything he wrong. He didn't beat me up. That like, makes him better just, than most people. Right. Right. He's just going to like, he's like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to upset him. So in, um, uh, shortly thereafter, um, when the Jade Champion Tournament is called, Okura enters the tournament and quickly realizes he can't win. He's going to get his butt whipped and which he should be used to by you now would think he would be used to it and would deal with that but does not and succumbs to the whispered temptations of the Kansen, which is the appropriate thing to do i can't blame him for that um and strikes a deal with akuma for knowledge that lets him defeat yuchi karasu in the final round of the tournament and becomes the jade champion um i'm gonna seems yeah. fine what could go wrong? I'm going to pause here to talk about how this happened. Because as it turns out, this is not the story team being clever. I mean, it is. But um, this storyline is the result of what was referred to at the time as a corrupted win. Uh, Gen Con 1998 was a tournament called the Jade Championship, where the winner of the tournament would have a member of their clan become the Jade Champion. However... At the time, there was a rule in place wherein the contents of your deck would determine whether or not your win was corrupted or not. If you had zero Shadowlands cards, the deck was considered pure. If you had one to three, it was considered tainted. If you had four or more, it was corrupt. And if you had any of the Oni overlords, Akuma, Kyoso, etc., or any Black Scrolls, it was automatically corrupt, regardless of how many copies of anything else you had in there. Okay, for those of us who don't know anything about the card game and still haven't bothered to mm-hmm. learn it, um, nine months into making this podcast, uh, how many cards are in uh, the deck? 40 in each deck. 40, uh, okay. 40 Dynasty, 40 Fate. So like four out of that many is not no, that many. not many at all. And at this time in the game's history, Shadowlands cards were very powerful cards. So it was very tempting to put these cards in. So it worked. It was kind of like working like Shadowlands Temptation. Like, oh, take some power, get corrupted. Hmm? Um, but here's why. It, Who yeah, wouldn't? right? That's what I'm saying. Uh, but here's the problem with, and here's why they, the corrupt wins thing was controversial. 
uh, people would play a clan that they did not represent corrupted in order to taint the storyline against that clan. So I don't actually know. The person who won Gen Con that year was a guy named David Law. I don't know if he was a, a lion player who played corrupt because he wanted to or because he wanted to corrupt the lion for his own reasons, or if this was a person who was a Shadowlands player who chose to play lion to corrupt the lion for that reason, like to corrupt the lion, or if they didn't care about the storyline either way. But you can see how... They just wanted yeah, to win. Yeah, they just wanted to win. But you can see how a lion player that cared very strongly about their clan staying pure would get their knickers in a twist when their clan's whole storyline for Hidden Emperor would be affected by somebody winning with a with a corrupted deck. It's fascinating to I, me. This is, and this is where... It's like really yeah. cool. I mean, I can, I can see why it would cause problems and I can see why it would make people upset and, you know, like knowing what I know about the L5R community mm-hmm. and, you know, like the interactions between the clans and really like what AEG did or did not do there. Um, it's still fucking cool. Yeah. And this is where, like, yeah, this is the some of the great stuff that I love about L5R is the way these cl- people fought for their clans and were passionate about their clans' representation and how they were affected in the storyline. And people really gave a shit that, you know, the Lion were a pure clan. They weren't supposed to be doing Maho. So it was a really big deal, apparently, that um, Okura was corrupted. Um, and boy, howdy, was he. Um, in the story, A Gentle Reminder, we get a depiction of Okura uh, hanging out with the Oni bound in chains of jade, bragging, I am your master, while the demon laughs. Uh, in the Hidden Emperor RPG book, it says, Okuma begins a slow campaign of driving the new jade champion ever deeper into corruption and madness. Um, yeah, yeah, well, yes, hell yeah. But also, like, <laughs> so clearly this is going to go super well for Kitsu Okura. Um, and it does. Uh, following his ascension to the jade champion post, he begins to gather a group of samurai who are unhappy with the current champion, Ikoma Sanurai's role as lion champion, and initiates them as followers of Akuma. Uh, I'm not clear on if there's something about Sanurai that is creating this rift within the Lion Clan that makes this a viable strategy, or if it's just like that's where the unsatisfied people were, so that's where he was gathering followers. But clearly, Okura is off to a running start with this whole Maho using nefariousness thing, and he's just going to run with it. He's going to go hog wild uh, there. Um, not like, well, we'll see. Um, not like Kuniyori kind of levels, but he's going to do, he's going to do, get some mileage out of that whole, uh, uh, Oni no Akuma connection. For somebody who's just starting off, he's like in it yeah. to win it. You know, Kuni Yori's had years and years of putting <laughs> hands on people. Um, he's had a lot of time to practice. And so, I mean, I think Okura's doing pretty well considering, yeah. no, I, you know, I he's, he's kind of a, a baby Maho user. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty proud yeah. of him. So that I I like. Uh, gosh, I'm just really excited about this. Um, this not being like a dumb story decision. 
Um, I like, I really like the mechanics of this. And yeah, me too. Um, and like I said, I can totally see why it would upset people. And like, like I said, knowing what I know about the clan interactions and things like that, I can see why people would not like it. Um, from the outside looking in as a arc of whatever we are, historically accurate archivists, um, it's very interesting and it's, it's really cool. Um, it should be noted that the, corrupted win thing did not last the whole history of the game um because people didn't yeah i I, my recollection is that it lasted through diamond and then they ended it uh that was the last set that they did it and then in lotus it was gone because if i recall correctly uh it was pointed out that it would have if corrupted decks had won we would have gotten dark lotus instead of regular lotus but um i could be mistaken there but I know it was at least a thing in gold. Um, so at least the set before diamond. So it, but it lasted for a while, like for a good period of the game's life, there were serious consequences to playing a corrupted version of a, of a regular clan deck. So we'll definitely be seeing that again as we go through these storylines and we see storyline results, uh, being noted as the result of a corrupted win. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing too that I want to point out about about Hidden Ember as a whole now is that you're already starting to see so to back it up when we got toward the end of Clan Wars one of the things we pointed out was that there was this sudden rush to wrap up all of these storylines because it felt like oh no we have all of these loose ends quick let's try and figure out how mm-hmm. they go together like let's figure out how whatever's going on with the Yokuni suddenly goes with what's happening with Kachiko um we can see already with Hidden Ember that things are starting to intertwine. We talked about, you know, the unicorn are trying to assert their authority and that's going to kind of get directed at the lion. And we already are starting to see why um, you have the Jade Champion thing, which would normally upset the Phoenix, but the Phoenix are like not doing great. It's things are already kind of connected in smaller ways and I think they've done a lot better of a job of um, making sure that it doesn't get to the end and we suddenly have all of these strings still hanging yeah. out. I would say the the biggest thing, it, you can tell that somewhere there was a whiteboard involved in the creation of Hidden Emperor. Somebody was up there with markers, like, laying out the various plot lines and narratives that were going to go into this arc. And, like lining out all the v- different storylines that they were going to be telling. Whereas in Clan Wars, it was like sheets of paper coming in and just like people like writing, writing ideas on a, on a paper airplane and just shooting them and whichever ones got through the door got on, got it published. So it's much more organized. And um, you definitely, especially in these things, in this last batch of fictions for this episode, you can really feel the various uh, plot lines starting to coalesce. You know what didn't go on that whiteboard? What's that? Uh, Otaku Morito. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, his name was not on that whiteboard. I'm really um, sure that that was so, a, a, a card fuck up. That was somebody who keeps track of what cards have been reprinted under what names fucking blew that one. But I'm maybe someone will correct me. I. But also it's like not the first time that they would have reused – a name either so like it might have been though i don't know why did why did nobody be like nah it's a different guy i don't know uh, yeah 
We may never uh, know. Yeah. Um, I go to sleep with so many questions <laughs> still. I wake up with no answers. Yep. Well, that's it for this one. Um, we will be back in two weeks with more bullshit as, as Taturi is still gone. Yep. Thank God. Um, and stuff's still going yep. real bad. It's going to be that way for a little bit. Garbage of the Five Rings is an independent production and can be found online at www.garbageofthefiverings.com and on Twitter at G5R Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Amelia Antrim, and I can be found on Twitter at Ginger Reckoning. My co-host, Jude Vase, can be found on Twitter at Aramidic Jude. Sources for this episode and further information on the topics discussed can be found in the show notes. Thanks for letting us waste your time. We'll be back in two weeks. Thank you.